Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Disciple Life podcast. I'm your host, Cody D. Thrash, and I'm going to be quickly continuing on with um, a little bit of a testimony or a long testimony or depending on how many testimonies you've heard is maybe long or short. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty long, but I generally tell this, you know, in sitting and, you know, in 30, 45 minutes or something, I, I go through all of this, but I've decided to go through it in a couple episodes of the podcast because I, I can really dive into some details that I wanted to talk about that, for me, that they're powerful details. And so anyway, I'm going to get right on into it. I'm not going to do a lot of prelim on, on this podcast series. I'm not going to do a lot of, you know, just we're going to get in it. Uh, I do want to say that I'm thankful for you. Thank you for listening. And if you do enjoy this podcast and feel like it helps you in some way, feel like somebody should hear it, maybe share it with them. I'm not necessarily asking to share publicly. That's up to you. But if you know somebody that might benefit from this, that would be awesome. So, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. The last episode, episode number two, finished with the new year, uh, January 1st of 2017. The early morning hours, I found myself hearing from God for the first time in my life where God simply said to me, if you can believe in him, why can't you believe in me? Um, it was in response to a demonic movie that I had watched and um, in response to a lot of doubt uh, and years of doubt of questioning and struggling with a lot of things. Um, now, I will say my addictions and my problems with alcohol and drinking and things of that nature, they didn't really stem from my doubt of God. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, I just went through a couple years of pretty much claiming atheism, which, as everybody knows, is not really a that they don't believe in God. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, a justification for why somebody would want to do the things that they want to do and not have to feel bad about it because it's possibly sin or whatever. But, you know, my addictions didn't really have anything to do with my doubt in, in, in God. It was like a whole other uh, facet of my, my life. And, and none of this had really ever come out as being doubts until this past few months at the at the end of 2016 where I read my Bible for the first time through. I, I realized all the doubts that I had all these years, the questions that I had asked and the wonders and, you know, and not being able to get straight answers from people. Um, you know, and, I, and I'll say this quickly and then move on into the rest of the testimony, but it's very frustrating to me when a theologian you know, has to write books and, and write huge, long articles trying to explain a doctrine that's not clearly labeled in the text. You know, and you could put whatever one you want in there, but, you know, men, theologians over the years have wrote many, many books on single scriptures and, and how to justify it and how to make it make sense into the doctrine. One that's big and powerful in our day, and we better be careful of it is, is the homosexual and lesbian doctrines that the progressive churches are teaching. If you go to the bookstore in the religious bookstore section um, of, of like a books a million or, or something like that, um, there's a, there's a section I was in there the other day and it's, it's, it was a book on homosexuality and 
he's the title was what did jesus really mean by these scriptures and it listed three or four on the front of the text and and this whole text was taking the scriptures of jesus where he talks clearly about you know a man shouldn't be with a man and this different thing all these you know the scriptures and he this writer does well in my opinion no justice but he writes this whole book explaining how uh, this doctrine is is real you know that it's it's we're wrong to be against the homosexual that Jesus didn't really mean that and he uses the Greeks and the Romans and all of these things these different cultures to prove that Jesus was wrong or that we're taking it wrong as fundamentalist Christians when we take a stand against homosexuality well that to me is frustrating I'm sure it is to you too but even other things you know I'm going to specifically talk today about the Trinity you know there there's some scriptures and I will concede there are some scriptures in the New Testament that are confusing they 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 seem to separate the spirit of god and the flesh of jesus there there is that sure but reading the bible as a whole i didn't find the trinity i didn't see it and i was confused by it i've been confused by it all my life because you know we 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 picture god as being one if you if you think about it you picture god as being one you don't picture him as this trinity diagram that um that they've created nobody really does and so you start to tell them about the oneness of god they most people don't really have any problem agreeing with it you know is you just show them the scripture this is what the scripture says there's not a lot of extra text there's not a lot of my interpretation i'm not trying to interpret things i'm not trying to give you a commentary i'm just reading the scripture i'm not adding any to it and i'm not taking away that's what this episode is primarily about I want to tell you about a man uh, named Roger Simpson. Now, Roger is, well, he's a 35, 40-year veteran of Bible study, uh, a fantastic teacher of Bible studies. And matter of fact, on this, on this podcast, I'm going to be teaching his Bible study called The Way um, pretty soon. I don't know exactly when, but it'll be seven lessons. It'll be seven Wednesdays where I teach um, The Way. And he, he wrote that Bible study, him and his wife, uh, his late wife, Sister Diane Simpson, after 30 years of, of ministry, not a preaching pulpit ministry that, as one would think about, but, but Roger, him and, his, and even his new wife now, the, the lady he's married to now, they still teach almost weekly Bible studies. And he's still the, um, the new converts teacher for our church, and he's... Y'all, if you haven't had a conversation with Brother Simpson about your questions, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to, and I'm going to explain why. So January 1st of 2017, I decide I'm going to read my Bible through again, and I've got all these conflicts in my my belief system. I now I'm first for the first time in my life, I'm trying to truly believe in Jesus as he as he wants me to, with with full faith and out without doubt. But on one hand, I have all of these doubts because of all of these inconsistencies in in the doctrines of the denominational churches possible conflicts and possible where one scripture can't be reconciled with another 
And that happens a lot in the denominational world where you read one scripture and you cannot reconcile it with another. And um, I, so I have all this doubt on one hand and then I have all this, well, this new faith on the other hand because I'm, I'm learning about the Pentecostal belief system for the first time in my life. I'm, I'm learning how, like I said, from Brother Simpson primarily, who he says, you know, we don't interpret scripture like, other people would try to interpret it. We just read it. And what it says, we attempt to do. Or what it says not for us to do, we attempt not to do. So I began to read my Bible through again. And this time I read it through again in about three months. Actually, a little bit less than three months. Again, I was reading four and five hours a day. And I read through and I made a list of questions as I went. I didn't... I didn't listen to a lot of debates. I listened to a couple of like one God versus the Trinity debates, uh, which everyone that I've seen, and I wasn't really trying to believe either one of them, to be honest. At this point, I was like, I don't really, it's so confusing to me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost either way, whether it's one, one God or whether it's the Trinity of gods. I didn't understand it. I didn't know. But I did watch a few debates, and I saw where it seemed to be that the one God person didn't have to do as much interpretation. He just read the Scripture. And to me, I was like, okay, well, that's that seems interesting, or that seems plausible to me, because why would God have said that I need to have a commentary to understand his text? If, if that's the case, then the Bible's not enough. But we believe that the Bible's enough and that that it's all we need. We believe, and, and I think any Christian would agree with me here, regardless of their denominational belief systems, uh, you, would, you would believe and you, you should believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority of what is right and wrong in your life and how to be saved and, and what is salvation and all of these questions. So I, I start writing these questions down, and, and I, I truly wish that I still had that original piece of paper or had written those scriptures down. I carried it with me for weeks, ending, getting closer to the middle of March. Um, I had begun to visit Pine Grove a little bit more willingly towards the end of February and the 1st of March. Again, not really willingly, though. It was just I wasn't completely opposed to visiting. And I, I end up finishing my Bible and I have about 13 questions. I, I just remember 13. And I don't remember all these questions, to be honest with you, because some of those things didn't matter. These questions I had to try to, I guess, a last-ditch effort of keeping me out of Pentecost, because I had said, I'll never be a Pentecostal. I'll never be a part of that church. Uh, these were these last-ditch efforts. So I don't remember all of these questions. I do want to go over a few with few of them with you today, though. Um, so, so March 11th of 2016, nope, excuse me, March 11th of 2017, it's a Friday night, um, and it, let me go back slightly, a few days prior to this, I had finished reading my Bible, I had my questions, I had my doubts on one hand and my beliefs in the other, and I asked Samantha to schedule with me a meeting with Brother Roger Simpson. I said, I, I want to meet with him. And I want to ask him some questions. Can, can we meet? Would you talk to him about allowing me to meet with him one-on-one? -on -one? And without hesitation, he said, yes, I'd love to meet with him. And I, at that time, I, didn't, I wasn't friends with Roger. Now he and I are, were friends, and I, I'll text him and call him. But, you know, at that time, I, I was going through Samantha. Well, just tell him I want to talk to him. Tell him I got some questions for him. 
you know, and in my mind, I'm like, well, what, how's this going to go? I, I meet with Brother Simpson that evening, uh, Friday evening, probably 7, 7.30. Um, Sister Diane, his previous wife, she, um, she was, I guess, in the bedroom, most likely praying, knowing her, who she was. But he, he, he met me, we, he made me coffee, and we said, I think actually she made me coffee, and then she went to the bedroom. But he, he sat down in the chair that's still approximately in the same exact place in his house six years later, although there has been slight remodel, you, you know. But he sits down, and we, we have cordial conversation for a few minutes, and he says, well, you know, Cody, you know, Sam says that you want to ask me some questions. You know, what are, what are those, do you want to get started with that? And and I said, well, yes, sir, yes, sir. So I pull out my Bible and my piece of paper. And, and I guess my expectation was that I was going to come into this man's house and it was going to be full of, you know, theological books. And he was going to have all these different commentaries laid out and he was going to have all these different notes. And I felt like he was going to over, I was just terrified. Oh, he's going to overwhelm me with his, you know, his knowledge and his, um, you know, his, his experience with the Bible. And I'm not going to, so I'm nervous and I'm scared and. And so I, I asked him, I began to ask him questions. Look, it, it, well, hold on, I've got to finish that story. I'm, I'm so excited about these questions. <laughs> um, Brother Simpson had nothing but his Bible. He didn't have any notes. He didn't have, y'all, I could, every time I think about this, I, I, I can just about weep. But he didn't have notes. He didn't have commentaries. Matter of fact, his house didn't have a lot of books in it as I thought it might. He's got books. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't read, so don't assume that. You know, but he didn't pull out anything on me. He pulled out the scripture. And so I'd ask, I, I don't remember the first question. Like I said, I don't remember all of them. I just want to give you a few of them. Some of the main things that I was struggling with as a born and raised non-believing Baptist. Um attempting to seek God in a new way. And as I go through this, let me make one more disclaimer that if you're not uh, of the Pentecostal faith and you don't believe like I believe, I promise you I'm not trying to hinder your walk with God. If you've got it figured out and you're confident in your salvation, well, ignore me. Because, you know, Jesus didn't come to heal the righteous. He came to heal the sick. And if you've got it figured out, then just don't worry about me. Don't don't get upset at what I say because you've got it figured out. But for those of you who have struggled, and I know that these are out here, there's a couple, a friend of mine who mentioned to me um, their whole life, they had felt the way I felt about the scriptures, uh, that I didn't have the answers that I needed. Um, And so I want to encourage you, if you do have doubt, and if you do have a question, and and you would like to ask it out of curiosity and not animosity, I'd love to answer these questions for you. And if I can't, I know the man who can. His name is Roger Simpson. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, I, we're sitting across the room from each other, probably six, seven feet apart, coffee table in between us, a, a couple of coffee cups. The house is so peaceful and so calm. And it's, you know, when you walk into an apostolic person's house and you know, well, now I know, I didn't know then why it felt so peaceful and why it felt so airy. It was nighttime and it was dark still, but the room felt so light and <laughs> If I could, if I had the words, if I was a writer, and I could give you the imagery that this room, this house brought to me those first few nights I visited him, you know, 
I wish I could do better, but I can't. All I know is I felt peace when I walked into that room. I sat down and I felt peace. I felt comfort. And although I was nervous to ask my questions, it wasn't fearful, I, I guess. There was not a lot of fear there. But I, I began with asking him, and, and I was like, okay, well, here's our que- you know, here's my first question. And I think, I'm pretty sure at this time he stops me. He says, wait, Brother Thrash, or Cody, he was calling me at that time. He said, let's do one more thing before we start. He said, can we pray for just a moment and ask God to bless us? And y'all, he just prayed a very godly, mm, hallelujah, Jesus. He played. A, he prayed a very simple prayer, asking God to open our minds. He said he he included himself. He said, "Open our minds and and open our ears and give us a heart that's willing and ready to to receive of your word." And 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 Jesus, we love you. And I don't even remember the rest of it. I just remember him praying. And I said, well, oh, yeah, God, I really want you to open my heart. I really want you to open my ears. And, and, and I prayed with him in the only way I knew how, which was to sit there and listen. And so I go forward. And we, we finally go forward, and I ask him the question. And, and, again, I don't have the proper order, but I asked him this question. I said, why do you believe that baptism is essential? Because the way I was raised, I was told that baptism was just a profession of faith and didn't really have anything to do with your salvation. That was the way I'd been taught all my life. And matter of fact, I haven't even asked a couple of ministers, preachers in the other denominations about this. You know, say, so, okay, well, I get that we say this, but where in the scripture does it say that it's a profession of our faith? Where does it say that it's just a, an outward expression of an inward choice because I read the, and I remember talking to a preacher about this, but I read this scripture and, and, and this portion and this where it talks about that it's important. It seems as if it's important for our salvation. And, and I could never get an, I couldn't, I couldn't get a clear answer from anybody. They didn't, it's always a theological debate with, with that type of question. It's, it's, it's never scripture. And so, Brother Simpson, he tells me, he says, well, Brother Thrash, he says, would you turn in your Bible to Mark 16 and 16? And I say, sure, sure. So I, so I sat there and I, I flipped through my text and he says, well, when you get there, just, just read Mark 16 and 16. So I said, okay. And, and I read it and he, I started reading. He said, read it, read it out loud, Cody. And I said, okay. And, um, and he said, he that, and, I, and this is what Mark 16 and 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He said, what does that scripture say to you? What is that scripture saying? And I said, well, he that believeth, which I'd already determined that one must believe to be saved. And he said, and is baptized. And he said, how do you separate those two? He said, at what part in that sentence, how do you separate which one is which? And he said, "To be this scripture is indicating, just by reading it, that it indicates that salvation, in this sense, has to do with believing and baptism. Because if it didn't have to do anything with baptism, it wouldn't have been mentioned. And I know there's other scriptures that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There's also a scripture that says, call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So you can't just take one scripture. He tells me that immediately, pretty quickly. He says, Cody, you can't just use one scripture 
to determine a doctrine. He says, so, so now that we understand that at least the Scripture in this portion is saying that to be saved, we've got to believe and be baptized, he said, now let's, let's answer your next question, which is why we're baptized. Well, I was, again, raised that baptism was, uh, was, was an outward profession of faith. And he says, well, let's go to, let's go to Acts 2 and 38. And I was like, oh, man, I, know, I knew he was going to try to go to this Acts 2 and 38, this, this Pentecostal you know, scripture that everybody wants to use. And, and that was my initial thoughts, and I'm sure you've had those thoughts too. But anyway, the scripture is still the scripture. And so he says, Cody, would you read out loud Acts 2 and 38? And so I said, I, I read, I said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And he stopped me when I got there. And he, he told me, he said, well, what, is, what does remission mean? And I told him, I thought, you know, I said something to do with cancer. You know, when somebody has cancer, but it's, you know, gone or whatever. He said exactly right. You know, somebody who has cancer, and then if they, if they get over it, if they get well, get better, and the cancer is no longer visible or detectable in the body, the doctor will declare that that person be in remission. And he said, so, but more or less on the scripture, and if I can remember the way the words are used in the actual translations, it, 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 ties into baptism and the washing that that baptism holds for us and because of the baptism the sins are washed away and y'all i didn't ex- uh, explain or understand all of that at first but i did read where it talks about that you know it says be baptized all of us commanding all of us to be baptized in the name of jesus pretty simply for and it gives us the reason for remission of sins we're not I didn't find a scripture, and I asked him this, you know, where's the scripture where that comes from, the doctrine of it's an outward profession of, of your faith? And and that can be inferred by some, some scriptures and some passages, but as far as like a clear definition of what baptism is for, it says it's for the remission of sins. Now, I've still got to understand, and he tells me, he says, well, now we've still got to determine what remission means and what all that entails. He said, but the basic definition of, bi- of baptism in the New Testament is for remission of sins. So, you know, from the fir- very first question, he's, he's not caused doubt in me. That's what's wonderful, y'all, about the Scriptures. And if you will open your heart to the Scripture and just read it as it is, is it doesn't cause doubt. It might cause a little bit of your pride to be hurt because you might find yourself wrong, Right. You might realize that somebody or even somebody you respect might be wrong in their doctrine. But if you're just reading it from Scripture, I mean, I think there's somewhere that says, I'm going to quote this terribly because I don't know this Scripture by heart, but it says, uh, basically, let men, men be liars and, and let God be true. We have to believe that the Scripture is true. If we're going to be Christians, that's we got to believe that this is the Word of God. First Timothy, Second Timothy three and sixteen says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is in, and is profitable or is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's what this word is is for. That's why it was given to us. It was given for doctrine, and we don't need a lot of extra biblical material to to make that happen. I asked him the question, and I said, really, at this point, this question's already been answered. Why does it have to be in Jesus' name? And I, I'm pretty sure if I can remember properly, I, I did have to go through some of this and, and I guess 
to be honest, guess of his responses. I don't remember. Um, what would be best is if you're having these questions is to go to him and ask him these questions. But when I asked him, why must it be in Jesus' name? I think I'm, I'm looking it up now because I, I didn't. Give me just a second. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jesus says in, in Matthew 28 and 18, which is right before the Great Commission, he says, all power, go ye, oh, excuse me, let me say, and Jesus, this is verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. And he points out that scripture to me. It's the name. And then he tells me Acts 4 and 12, which says, Neither is there any other name uh, given among men whereby we must be saved. A salvation scripture talking about the name. And I said, okay, that well, that's it. That's all I need. I, I don't need a lot of de- explanation. I don't need, I, you know, I just really wanted to receive the scripture as it was on the paper. I asked him the question. I said, okay, I said, well, here's my next big deal. I don't believe that everybody has to speak in tongues. I, I don't believe that. Maybe there's, I, I done read my Bible twice through at this point. There's a lot of talking in tongues in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of occasions where, where that happened. There's references in the Old Testament. There's prophecy that about that happening. Anyway, it cannot be denied that speaking in tongues, regardless of how you define it, again, you may have the, the right to define it as you so please, whether you're wrong or right, that's not for me to, to choose. But it's, it's mentioned, and so I cannot say any longer that nobody speaks in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I can't hold that uh, stance anymore, although there's so many denominational people out there that hold that stance, and it's because they've never read their, their Bible um, through and through. If you read it through and through, it's in there. Again, define it how you want, but it's in there. So I do concede with him, and I say, well, I realize that you know, some people may speak in tongues, and that's for, you know, this and that. And he says, and, and I said, but I don't believe everybody has to speak in tongues. And he says, okay. He said, well, let's go to Acts 2 and 39. And he takes me back to the book of Acts, which, again, I get frustrated about because, you know, Pentecostals always got to go to the book of Acts. <laughs> and that's okay. That's, I mean, it's just as much Bible as anything else. And if it isn't, take it out of yours. I'm going to keep it in mind, however. Um he says to read um, Acts 2 and 39, it says this, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he says, what is the promise? What was the promise that they were waiting for? We'd already studied through the book of Acts a little bit, a little bit more through conversation. He said, what were they waiting for? Jesus had told them to go into Jerusalem and to wait from the promise from on high. He, he We referenced the the falling of the Holy Ghost and the speaking in tongues and the tongues of fire and the rushing mighty wind. And he referenced these things. He didn't give me his opinion. He just referenced these scriptures and said, hey, read this. Think about this. And what is it saying? And I said, okay. He said, so so let's presume for just a moment that the promise is the Holy Ghost. He said, forget about tongues. Forget about how it's going to happen or what it's going to look like. He said, presume that the promise is the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, do you want that promise? And I said, yes, sir, I want that promise. And he said, do you believe that anybody can have that promise? And I said, yes, I do believe that. And he said, okay. He said, well, isn't it true that God wants everybody to be saved? And I said, yes. And he said, so let's put these two and two together. And he gave me a lot more scripture. Again, I don't have time 
to do a specific, maybe I can break this down in the future uh, about really an individual in these questions. He did go through the book of Acts with me and he pointed out Acts 8 and Acts 10 and Acts 12 and Acts 16 and Acts 18 and Acts 19 and Acts 22 where all of these different peoples, the Samaritans, the Jews, the Cornelius's house, the, the Gentiles, the, the, the believers of John the Baptist in Acts 19 where all of these uh, men and women who received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they were all either baptized in the name of the Lord or baptized in the name of Jesus. He points out baptism scriptures and he said, and every one of these occasions where it says that somebody was filled with the Holy Ghost, they also spake in tongues or magnified God or they spake in tongues and they prophesied or they spake in tongues and acted drunk or, or whatever. But all of the, he pointed out to me, he said, the only consistency in the the gift of the Holy Ghost and what it looks like and what it sounds like is speaking in tongues. And you can define it again how you want, but it's still the consistency there. That's how we, we tie those two things together. Um, is there a scripture that says you must, if you don't, if you must talk in tongues to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, there's not one that says it like that. And, and I'm not a fan of inference. I, I don't like inferring things from scripture, but there is something in, in the fact of the, the, the book of Acts is historical. It was recorded history, and it happened every time, and maybe it's just best that we take it at face value and, and receive it. And as I'm going to tell you in just a few moments, I did receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. But um, And I asked him a bunch of questions. I don't remember. I, remember, I, I do remember asking him about the thief on the cross, and, and I think this is one he actually didn't give me scripture for. He, he, he returned to me a question. He said, are you a thief on a cross? And I said, no, sir. He said, so why do you think you should compare yourself to him? And I said, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know. He said, you should compare yourself to the people who you assimilate with. And he said, let's, go to the, let's talk about the Gentiles. And so he takes me to the scriptures where the Gentiles were saved. Again, that's a that's a contention between a lot of people because anybody who has a problem with their faith and has doubt in their faith, they they can't accept the fact that Jesus can do what Jesus wants to do with a man on a cross with him. That doesn't mean that we fall into the same category. I'm not that thief on the cross. I am more similar to uh, Paul in the jail binds. I'm 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 bound in in a jail of of sin. I'm more similar to him. So what did he do? And and what did Cornelius do? And what Cornelius Cornelius was faithful. He had been praying for years and giving alms and building churches. He was a righteous man in the eyes of his community, but yet he was not saved. You know. So it's. It, he was a good man, but so there's a concept that's really popular. You know, it's not we're not saved by works, we're not saved by the good things we do. Uh, that didn't save him, but it did. It did create a, a memorial up to God that God sent a preacher to him so that he could be saved. Okay. Um, anyway, many questions. Um, I asked him about tithing. I asked him about you know long hair and modesty and all kind of stuff that really didn't mean anything or make sense to me at the time, but I did ask those questions. Um, my point here that I want to sum up with again, I really y'all, I really wish I had those thirteen questions, and I really wish I had all of his answers, but I don't. It's been six years, and a lot of healing happened, and a lot of realization happened that most of those questions didn't make sense or weren't important anyway. 
And so that's why I went through the questions that I did remember to be important, which is baptism and filling of the Holy Ghost. And again, I will go through that, all of that, in a whole episode by themselves. I'm just kind of skimming this. Um, but I did finish that night. Let me back up once. Let me make one statement about going. I had gone to Brother Simpson's with the thought in mind that I was either going to disprove him or he was going to disprove me. I left that house that night feeling uh, an overwhelming peace at the fact that he had disproved me. He had he had shown me simply with Scripture every problem that I had with the text. And I left with my answers. Without worrying, without wondering, I left with my answers. And I've never doubted those things again. So that was March 11th of 2017. A Friday night, I met with him for two, probably close to three hours, and it was a a pivotal pivotal moment in my life. I had a pivotal moment at the first of January or the first of the year with watching the movie Rosemary's Baby and God speaking to me, and then now I've had another pivotal. I cannot say that word pivotal. <laughs> it's like I want to give an extra pivotal. I had another pivotal moment in my walk with God that night, and I had. Pretty much when I left, I, I, I was driving up his driveway across his pine levee, and I told the Lord, I prayed to God, I said, God, I want the Holy Ghost. And I did not, again, I didn't know all of what that looked like or what it would be like. Um, I, I, I had never really seen, I, well, no, I had never seen anybody receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'd heard what happens, and I'd heard, you know, what people from the outside would say, but that's all I knew. And so... I wake up Saturday morning, the next morning on March 12th, and because of pre-planning and been planning this for months, I had planned to go to a local bar about an hour and 15 minutes from my house to watch my favorite band play. Um, A whole other side of this story is, you know, I'm in a band that was pretty successful, that was pretty good. We were great musicians and, and was seeing some success. We were playing a lot of parties and at a lot of clubs, and we were having some interviews with some different people about some big things for our band at this time. Um, So my band was doing great, and I was all into music. That's what I spent most of my time doing. And and so this night, March 12th, 2017, Saturday night, I had planned to go out with my buddies. We had decided and planned to take the night off as a band and – um, and, and go to this show, watch this band that I loved. It was my favorite band at the time, and still, musically, sound-wise, it's one of my favorite bands still, although I don't listen to them much anymore. Um, but I followed them on Instagram, and I followed them on Facebook, and I watched every video that they put out, and I had all their music. Um, I, I don't remember how involved I was with this band. I just remember you know, really wanting to go to the show and, and, um, I knew all the music, so I was going to have a great time and they were promoting a new album. So I, I knew that was going to be awesome because the new album was great. Um, at this time I have slowed down on drugs and alcohol. I'm drinking still a little bit like every a couple beers, every, every weekend or something. It wasn't near as what it was, but so we go to this bar in Meridian, Mississippi and the opener band plays and, you know, they're mediocre at best. Been there, done that. Uh, there was good music. It was just, you know, they're openers. They're a local band that's opening for these two national touring bands. 
this bar is probably six, 7,000 square feet. It's not huge, but it's not small either. There's probably 300 people in the room. Um, most there for the music. This was a, a music, a bar for music. It wasn't just for dancing. I mean, they did dance, but it was for live music, whether it be country or rock or whatever. They have different nights. But this, the opener plays, and my favorite band, Seasons After, uh, goes on second and until then until they came on i had not seen them they weren't in the bar most of the time the bands wouldn't be out in the crowd they would be hiding in the in the dressing rooms resting preparing warming up doing whatever because these shows are pretty intense and pretty uh, it, my band were perfectionists as well that's why we were so good as we we put our we put a lot of time into our show and a lot of time into our schedule and timing and click tracks and you, you know we, we put a lot into it so seasons after they come out and they their open song their opener song starts and and for the next 45 minutes to an hour they play and I'm just in awe at this band. They are truly to me amazing. Not only but it's 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 so much about what the music actually says. They're not just it's deep lyrics. It's a lot of pain and turmoil and I just resonated with it so much in so many ways and I was just at the very front. I, I had worked my way to the very front. I'm literally six or seven feet from the lead singer. I'm, I'm 10 or 12 feet from from the lead guitarist when he comes over towards my, my way. Being a singer, I'm kind of gravitating to the singer of the band anyway. And it was just amazing. Y'all, it was, it, they threw, they put on the most amazing show that I've ever seen. This was a... I mean, it's they're they're touring. They're a national touring band, touring all over the United States. But they're not, they're not really popular as far as you've really got to be into the rock and roll scene and into the metal scene to know about Seasons After. And if you know about Seasons After, they are fantastic. They, they I don't even know if they still play anymore. Um, but anyway, I'd be I think it'd be really cool if this if the singer of that band could somehow get this podcast. Um, I'm gonna say his name in a minute because it's pretty cool. So anyway, the show's over and I am wore out. So I go, I've just been dancing and having a good time, screaming, singing the lyrics. So I go back to the bar, which is at the very back of the building. Uh, the bar is along the back wall. And I take a stool, I order a beer, and I'm sitting there and I'm drinking. And I'm like, man, this, I'm just, I'm almost like high to the amount of, the amount of endorphins and, and, and the thing, the way I feel because of this music. I Music has a way of, it, it can make you feel things. So I feel euphoric almost. And I'm sitting there and I'm drinking my beer and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is just, this is why I do what I do. I hope people feel the way I feel right now when they listen to me sing and play. And I'm sitting there and I'm drinking my beer. And out of the corner of my eye, uh, another person sits down in the next chair beside me. And this person, I see their hand come up and reaches over and places on my back like just gives me a light slap on the back says hey Cody what's up man and I turn and I look to my left and it's Tony House the singer of that band and at this point he's pretty much an idol to me I mean I have I've researched I've watched every interview I, I mean he's just I love his voice I love the way he performs I, I, I want to take things from him and and so to have this idol of mine walk up to me, sit down beside me, and then say my name, 
I don't, I don't understand how he said, I don't know how he knew me. Um, matter of fact, both bands that night knew me, which is really weird to me. We weren't that popular y'all. We, we were good, but we weren't, we weren't popular. We didn't have, but maybe a thousand followers on Instagram. Um, and back then this was six, seven years ago, whenever Instagram was, you know, you could follow people that you knew and liked to a certain popularity and they would actually follow you back and respond to you. So yeah, they did follow my music page back as far as, uh, Tony, Tony did follow my page, but I didn't think he would follow me enough or see my stuff enough to know my name. And y'all, I just went nuts. I said, man, cool. Bro, that was the most amazing show. I don't even remember what I said. I probably babbled like an idiot, but he said, cool, Cody. He said, bro, he said, I listened to your song the other day better than myself. He said, that was such a good song. He said, are you signed? And I said, no, sir, I'm not. No, I, we're, we're, we're currently, I said, in a couple of weeks, we're supposed to be meeting with some people about a possible deal. And he's, he, he went to promising me things. He's went to say, well, dude, he said, I, I, I'm going to get you in touch with my manager and we're going to find you the right people. He said, because that song has got to be on the radio. He said, that's a radio song, man. And that's what everybody in a band wants to hear. And I'm hearing it from this guy who just played to me was the best show, the best performance I'd ever seen. And and I'm like, oh, man, I've made it. I've done it. I get his phone number, and he gets my phone number. We get we exchange emails. And for the next, the whole rest of the night, we sat there and we talked. I invited my, I, I met, he met my lead guitarist, and we had a good time. We bought rounds of drinks. Um, just, y'all, the most amazing night that I felt like I'd ever had. I get out of the bar, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, we listen to the last band, we got to go backstage, or I did, I got to go backstage and, and meet all the rest of the other bands and check out their equipment and just chill with them. We helped them load out, which means to take their, you know, help them load their, their equipment back into their trailers and things. And um, 4 o'clock in the morning, me, uh, Levi, and a couple other guys that went with us, my band, were driving home and I'm just... I don't have a butt. I mean, I, I'm drunk, but I'm not just belligerent. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow, this is it. And we're we're hooting and hollering on the way home, thinking about, you know, we, we've done it. We've we got it, man. We have did this, you know. And uh, I get home, and I'm just, y'all, it was just amazing. Sun's about to come up, and, and I go to sleep. I'm like, okay, yeah, perfect. I'm going to go to sleep. So I go to sleep, and I wake up around, I don't know, 10 o'clock, 1030, and I smell bacon and biscuits and I woke up with a smile on my face partly because of the band and then second because um, I wake up to a wonderful breakfast smell coming outside of the other room it's not a very big house so the whole house is covered and permeating this smell you know and smell of bacon and uh, I don't even remember what all Samantha cooked but this stuck stood out to me because Samantha had been fasting for the last five days and when she was cooking me meals, but she didn't be honest. And she'll, she'll be honest with you too. She probably wouldn't put a lot of heart into my meals because she was fasting. <laughs> She'd been fasting for five days and um, water only. And uh, maybe a little bit of fruit juice I think she was also having just so she can clear that up. But I um, I woke up and I come into the kitchen and and I said, are you done fasting? Are you going to eat? What are you doing? She says, yeah, I think I'm going to eat. And I said, okay, cool. And uh, I said, well, I think I'm going to go to church today. And she said, um, she said, well, okay, well, your clothes are ready, you know, in the room, just 
we'll be leaving. I think it was we were at that time we weren't coming to prayer meeting. We were just showing up to church at twelve, you know, when service starts. And so I get ready in a I don't know, a pair of black slacks that I had and a and a red button down shirt that was too big for me. Or something was up with it. It just felt weird. And I had made up my mind. So so here's the conflict. Friday night, I had made up my mind and promised God that I was going to go to church and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But Saturday night, I had my lifelong dream pretty much begin to happen for me. And I knew that if I went to Pine Grove Pentecostal Church and I received the gift of the Holy Ghost and I gave God all like I said I was going to, I knew that I could not keep doing what I was doing. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe I can have a band. We can start. We can do Christian music. We can go into more of a Christian style. We can cut out the cussing. We can cut out the drinking. And we can, you know, I was rationalizing it in my head. But even though this wonderful night, Saturday night, happened and all of these dreams seemed to be fulfilled for me, when I woke up Sunday morning, all I could think about, it, I wasn't even worried about that night so much. All I could hear in my head was my promise to God. I had promised God that I was going to go to church and that I was going to do everything. I was going to be open like Brother Simpson had prayed. I was going to have an open heart and an open mind. And so I go to church on March 13th of 2017. And Pine Grove is exuberant and loud and boisterous and uh, overstimulating at times. But the music is fantastic. And I'm just remembering this. The, the music was so moving to me. And I'm a musician, so that speaks to me. To somebody who's not a musician, maybe that's maybe the music's not as powerful to you, but I felt music in a way that I'd never felt it. I felt the same feelings that I had felt towards my rock music, but I felt it to this worship song this morning, on this morning, and 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 I felt so moved by the words. I don't even remember the song but I do remember that one of the solo songs, second or third song, I can't remember exact order, um, but Sister Alyssa Davidson sang, um, was singing Beyond the Open Door. I don't even remember who it's by at this point, but um, if you haven't heard that song, just Google it, YouTube it, whatever you use to search music, Beyond the Open Door. I think multiple people have sang it, but she's singing that song and... Um, the lyrics just begin to move me in a way that I've never really understood them to. I, I, I don't know. I really don't understand what's going on, to be honest. Um, I'm going to read you a few of these lyrics. I'm pulling them up now. Um, the chorus says this, Beyond the open door is a new and fresh anointing. Hear the Holy Spirit or hear the Spirit calling you to go. Walk on through the door, for the Lord will go before you into a greater power you've never known before. Hear the Spirit calling to wake the living dead, to reach the huddled masses who cry out for living bread. Arise, O mighty army, take up thy shield and sword, for the Father lifts his golden lamp beside the open door. And she's singing that song, and if you know Sister Alyssa, a girl can sing. And I respect that because I'm a singer. And so I listen to those words and the way she, I'm listening to her inflection and to, 
and the way she says these individual words, and before I know it, I'm actually understanding what this chorus is saying. I, I feel like, again, that the Lord is speaking to me. I feel like the Lord, while she's singing, is, is, is saying, step out, go forward. You see the door, things like this. It's, it's random little short phrases of move. You see it. You can do it. Kind of encouraging me. And, and I'm refusing. I just, I'm not ready to make this move. And about this time, out of nowhere, and if you've never been to Pine Grove, it might be hard to explain, but up on the side of the platform, on the right side of the, the sanctuary at the front is a hallway that leads from the conference room and back offices down into the sanctuary. And Brother Copeland um, comes running out of that hallway, running running onto the platform and literally stops the music, stops Alyssa from singing, stops everything. He says, he essentially, and I don't remember all of what was said, but he says, y'all know I never do this. He said, but the Lord spoke to me and told me to, to come out here and, and say this. And he said, somebody needs to hear this. And I was like, oh man, this is weird. You know, I ain't never seen anybody do something like this. Well, he begins to say, there's somebody out there, the Lord has been speaking to you and telling you to move and telling you to do this and that, word for word what God had been saying to me. And um, he said, he, said I, he just started saying it, the exact same thing. And right as I began, or what made me move, what made me make my choice to move was a word from the Lord that said this. He says, if you won't listen to me, will you listen to him? As he's saying the exact same things that God has just said to me, almost word for word. And when God spoke that to me, I just broke down. I didn't get up. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't make my feet do like they wanted to do. I just broke down. I hung my head and I began to weep. And I began to, to repent. And just say sorry for whatever I need to say sorry for. Sorry for drinking. Sorry for drugging. Sorry for doing this. Sorry for doing that. I'm sorry for not being obedient. I know you want me to move. I just don't know what to do. I, I, I'm sorry, God. Give me a, a chance or, or whatever, you know. Uh, and about that time, <laughs> wonderful Brother Simpson comes up to me and lays his hand on my shoulder. And he says, he just starts praying for me in that calm collected voice that he has and um, deep voice of authority and then other some other men begin to gather around me and pray and I don't remember a word they prayed to be honest this is what's amazing about people they're so scared to get prayed for and they're so scared of Pentecost and people wrapping their arms on them and circling them and praying for them but most people that you if you would interview them after they've been prayed for they don't even remember what people said they remember what they needed to hear specific things and brother simpson said he was praying and i don't remember how long y'all i don't have timing on all this because for me it seemed like hours um he asked me he says well cody do you want to go to the altar and i i did not want to go to the altar <laughs> but i said yes for some reason i said yes sir and i was crying y'all um, i was just boohooing snotting so he says let's 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 go he said i'll walk with you well, he leads me to the altar, and when 
I get to the altar, he turns around and begins to pray for me. He lays hand on hands on me. There's other men around me. Another one I remember, and I'm so thankful for, for Brother Eric Quick to this day, but Brother Eric Quick put his hands on my shoulders from behind me. And I knew who it was. I, I had seen him as a person of respect, a person of grounding. He had his uniform on that day. That resonated with me from my military past. He had his officer, his police officer uniform on, so it's a little different, but I still resonated. He grounded me. He grounded me in such a way, and yes, he kind of kept me from running. <laughs> he was he was at one point squeezing me because I wanted to run so bad. I don't know if he knew that. I don't know the details, but I wanted to get out of there because I was being f prayed for. And this little preacher, and I say little preacher, um, he's a fantastic, a powerful, anointed man of God, but the, he's short. Um, Brother Loy Talbert, um, he he comes up, and I'm on I'm on the floor of at the altar, and he's on the step in front of me, still slightly shorter than me. And y'all, that man reached up and smacked me so hard on my forehead. <laughs> I was, I was, I got so angry in that moment. Uh, but Brother Crick Quick held me, and he, and it, he, looking back on it, he really didn't hit me that hard. He didn't hit me at all. It, it, it just, it was like I was looking for anything to get out of there. Well, in my mind, he smacked me, and all he did was he laid his hand on me a little bit forcefully, and he shook me around a little bit which I'm not saying I'm, I agree with or don't agree with. I, I don't really know. It's, it, that's not here nor there. And I got mad, y'all. I'd gotten mad, and, and I shut down. I, I quit praying, and I thought, and it wasn't so much mad at him. I thought, well, you know, all these men praying for me, obviously I'm not going to get it. Obviously God doesn't want me to have what these people have, and it's probably not real. And all these doubts come over me and wash over me again. And, I, you know, I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Brother Simpson probably seeing my exhaustion or my my give, being ready to give up, he says, he said, Brother Thrash, he said, we're just going to keep seeking for this. He said, but um, do you want to be baptized in the name of Jesus? And he said, he said that might that might help this. He said, because you've committed, you know, you've admitted that you're you committed a lot of sin. He said, I know you've repented, but what if we wash it away? What do you think? And he gives me the whole spiel about, you know, going under in the name of Jesus. That's where the power, that's where the blood is applied. That's where the name is applied. And he re reminds me of some scriptures that we went over. And he said, do you want to have these sins washed away by the powerful blood of Jesus? And I said, yes, sir. Weeping again. <laughs> and so they take me up. And I, I, I'm pretty sure they took me at the end of service. Maybe they set us back down and we listened to the preacher. But at the end of service, they take me up to the baptistry and change me and or I changed myself, excuse me, they didn't help me with that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm baptized in the name of Jesus. They they put me under that water, and it was just water. And it didn't seem to do anything until I came up. You know, when I, I'm sorry. When I came up, I felt weightless. I felt I, you know, I felt peace in, in Brother Simpson's house Friday night, so I learned what that was for the first time in a long time. But now I felt weightlessness. I can't really explain it to you other than that. Weightlessness. Being baptized in the name of Jesus, 
for the remission of your sins, for the washing away of those sins, understanding the power in his name, understanding who he was and what it does, even the very little that I did, I came up a brand new person. I came up washed, clean, cleansed. And I just did a little rejoicing dance. I think I threw my hands in the air and hollered. I didn't know what to do. But I did feel something powerful, something that I had never felt before. And so we finished the rest of the day. I think we had a little snack. We had second service. And, uh, you know, I think we hung out with some people that evening. Somebody invited us over for a couple hours or to dinner or something, Mexican most likely. And later that night, I go home and we get, you know, ready for bed, showered. Um, And and it's later Sunday evening, you know, nine o'clock, not too bad, not too late. Normally, I go to bed a lot later, and I'm normally drunk by this point. Um, I lay down in the bed. I put my head on the pillow, and it it's as if, and I know there was probably a few minutes it took me to fall asleep, but it was as if at that point I just fell immediately asleep without struggling, without tossing and turning, without wondering and, you know, cutting myself down for all the junk I had done, not being stressed, not worrying about tomorrow, just fell asleep. And I fell asleep pretty much immediately and then immediately was taken to a dream. And I don't know if you've ever had any of these dreams or dreams like this, but it was it's like it lasted like five or six hours like I was coherent of the length of time that it was lasting you know sometimes you dream and it's just you you know it was just moments but this dream it was just like it kept on and kept on and it was essentially it did it felt like it was just hours literally well the dream was literally nothing but me crouched on my knees at an altar it didn't really look like pine grove it was more just an altar like steps of some sort and I was praying in tongues and in my dream I heard myself so coherently I could hear I could hear it it was babbling sure it was incoherent to me sure but I could it was incoherent as to what it what I was saying but I was coherent completely cognizant to the the fact that I was praying in tongues And around three in the morning, out of this dream, out of nowhere, I I wake up. And when I wake up, I'm sitting up in my bed talking in tongues. I don't know how to deny that. I don't know how, and actually I can't deny that, nor will I deny that. And I've had people tell me that I'm full of it and that, you know, I'm crazy and you know, it was just because of the drugs and this and that. And sure, may have, might have been. But regardless, I woke up around 3 in the morning after dreaming that I was praying in tongues for hours. I woke up speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And I had control of it because I stopped. I was like, whoa, whoa. I realized what was going on. I looked at my phone. I figured out what time it was. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. I started crying and I got up and it was middle of the night. Everybody was sleeping. I got up beside my bed and I did me a little, a little dance. I didn't know what to do and how to do it. I just, I just started tapping my little feet, you know, and 
and doing a little jig. And at that moment, I knew. At that moment, I knew that everything that all these people had been telling me for the last four to six months, uh, all the people that had been telling Samantha, all the people that had lied to me over the years, I knew what the truth was in that moment. And for any of you who know me now, you know me six years later, I have not been perfect by any means. I'm still working on things, and I'm still seeking righteousness in the eyes of the Lord. Not that I think that that's my salvation. I know it's not, but I'm just seeking to please this God who delivered me from everything. This was the moment that I was delivered. I haven't struggled with beer, alcohol, or any pills since I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I haven't had any of it since I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, if you know the Men of Integrity podcast, you know that I did take sin, some sin back up a, a six months or so after I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, but for the most part, none of that was was there. Alcohol, gone. Drugs, gone. Um, many, A lot of other things that I don't care to mention right now, gone. Thought processes, habits, gone. Delivered. Y'all, it's real. If you've listened this far, and whether you've been offended or not, or if you're my church family, remember, it's real. I believe that the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost at my home by myself in the middle of the night because He didn't want me to have any doubts about what it, what would happen at a church. Because there's some people that there's the only place they're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost is at the church, at the altar, with people all around them. And there are others who are like me who are going to get the Holy Ghost on their own. A good friend of mine had been seeking the Holy Ghost for a couple months. He'd been in Bible study. And he says he felt the need to go to the church one, one evening. And he, so he drives to the church, pulls into the church parking lot, and he says he goes to open his door of, the, of his car to get out, and the Lord just filled him with the Holy Ghost right there, and he began to speak in tongues. And, you know, it happens differently for everybody. There are some similarities in some cases, but it happens differently. So um, as we cross the hour point, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue forward with testimony. I may tell a little bit more, maybe some stories about my first couple years in Pentecost and all the things that how our life changed, uh, maybe some more details here and there. But uh, as for today, I do appreciate you. I'm done. Um, I do hope that this has uh, built some hope in you. I, I do hope that this has given you some faith, uh, because every time I tell this story, this part of the reason I wanted to start with this is I, I needed a faith-building uh, couple of weeks myself. You know, we all go through spells of where our faith wanes, and and we need to increase it somehow, and and that's where we come to the scripture. It says this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. I want to tell you that the word of your testimony, if you're ever feeling like your faith is, is diminished, tell somebody your testimony. Tell it to somebody. Stand in the mirror and tell it to yourself if you have to. 
because it will increase your faith and it will increase the faith of others. That's the whole purpose of what I'm doing here to increase my faith and to increase your faith and, and any faith of anybody that would listen with an open heart. I do appreciate you. Again, if you've listened this far and you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to share it, please do so. God bless you and have a great day.